This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. Inshallah we'll be We'll go ahead and start from ayah number 12 again. We discussed ayah number 12, but we'll just start from there because it's kind of a passage from 12 to 15. It's a one small little passage, so we'll cover it all together, inshallah. A'udhu billahi minash shaytanir rajeem Bismillahirrahmanirrahim Ya Yahya khudhil kitab bi quwah Wa ataynahu al-hukma sabiyya وَحَنَانًا مِّن لَّدُنَّا وَزَكَاةً وَكَانَ تَقِيًّا وَبَرًّا بِوَالِدَيْهِ وَلَمْ يَكُن جَبَّارًا عَصِيًّا وَسَلَامٌ عَلَيْهِ يَوْمَ وُلِدَ وَيَوْمَ يَمُوتُ وَيَوْمَ يُبْعَثُ حَيًّا الحمد لله رب العالمين والعاقبة للمتقين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه ومن تبعهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين وبعد. Yesterday we talked a lot. Um, yesterday you could pretty much say was a kind of an introduction to this entire passage, and it talked at length about. Um, we, we talked at length about how there is something omitted from the sequence of events here and the wisdom and the beauty in that. So now Allah, basically Yahya was born, he, ke- he, uh, he was given birth to, he came into this world, and he's growing up now. He's being raised, of course, by remarkable parents like Zakaria and his wife. And at that time Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addresses him. And Allah says, Ya Yahya, O Yahya, Khudil kitaba bi quwwatin, Hold firmly. Hold, grab on, hold on to, grab, hold, take, take hold of the book. And the book, unanimously, the Mufassirun, they tell us this refers to the Torah. Khudil kitaba biquwatin, biquwa. And quwa here, of course, refers to strength, conviction, firmness. And we talked a lot about the quwa, that it doesn't just mean to read it, but it means to understand it, it means to memorize it, and it means to live it, practice it, and dedicate one's life to implementing it. And that's what it refers to. So Allah is telling him to stick to this book. And one thing that needs to be pointed out here, there's a lesson in this for us. Too often, and I, I tried my best in the previous passage where he talked about the supplication of Zakariyah, how we can extract lessons and how we can extract benefit from that. Because too often it happens when we're reading about somebody like Zakariyah salam, a prophet and a messenger of the past. It's a long, long time ago in a faraway place, there was a man and this happened. A fairy tale. It, it comes off as a fairy tale, but we gotta make it relevant. And that's why we made observations about what was the supplication of Zakariyah, how did he supplicate? What did he ask for? And we talked a lot. We talked at length about that. What lesson can we take? Allah is telling Zakariyah to hold on. Uh, excuse me. Allah is telling Yahya, the son of Zakariyah, hold firmly on to the Torah. What can? What lesson can we take from that? The lesson we can take from that is the Kitab, the Al Kitab of that time was the Torah. The Al Kitab of this time is the Quran. And so we need to implement that same code, that same mentality, that we need to hold firmly onto the Qur'an. The Qur'an must be the foundation and the basis of everything that we do in life. And because one thing that is another predicament of our ummah, is when we hear Torah, 
and even for that matter, Injil, we know these were revelations of Allah, revelations of God Himself, but we also know that it was in the past, and the Qur'an tells us, يُحَرِّفُونَ الْكَلِمَ عَمَّ وَاضِحِهِ That they altered it, they changed it, they conveniently forgot parts of it. We know that it's been messed with, to put it in very plain terms. That it's not in its original revealed form any longer. So too often when we read about the Torah, again, we don't have that same mindset, we don't reflect on it in the same way that this, is, this was the revelation of Allah. How we feel about the Qur'an, what we think about the Qur'an, the Torah was the, exactly that. It was, the, it was the kalam of Allah, it was the word of God Himself, revealed upon a previous prophet, Musa alayhi salam. So for the followers of Musa, for the followers of Zakariya, for the followers of Yahya, for them the Torah was like what the Qur'an is to us. The same level of commitment, that same level of reverence. And that's something that we can often get disconnected from. Allah tells us in the Qur'an, in Surah Al-Ma'idah, ayah number 45, Allah says, وَأَنزَلْنَا التَّوْرَاةَ فِيهَا هُدًا وَنُورٌ And we revealed the Torah in it, was or in it is, hudan, guidance, wanurun, And it's a nur, an illuminating light. And that's exactly what we know about the Qur'an as well, right? The Qur'an is hudan. It is rahmatun, it is shifa'un. Well, the Torah was those same exact things for the people of that time. As long as it was, it was in its original form. So that's what we have to understand. So the lesson we extract from here is the Torah was guidance for them. And Allah is saying, you hold on firmly to this, because you cannot succeed without it. The Qur'an is guidance for us, and we cannot succeed without it. We need to hold firmly onto the Qur'an. وَآتَيْنَاهُ الْحُكْمَ صَبِيًّا And Allah says, and we gave him, we gave Yahya al-hukm. And I described al-hukm in detail yesterday, that all the different opinions about it, that it basically refers to a spiritual maturity. It refers to a spiritual maturity, it refers to knowledge and wisdom and understanding. A spiritual maturity. Alright, so Allah is saying that we gave him that spiritual maturity even though he was a child. Because typically this is something that people mature more spiritually later on in life. That's why the Anbiya salam, the messengers of Allah, would reveal prophethood at the age of, would get, receive prophethood, the first divine message at the age of 40, more, most often. And that was the exact reason for it, because that spiritual maturity sets in a lot later on. But Yahya, one of his distinct qualities was that he was given that spiritual maturity very very early on. He was given it very very early on. So Allah says, وَآتِيْنَاهُ الْحُكْمَ صَبِيًّا And I talked about how similarly, there are observations, there is guidance, there is hidayah from people in our ummah like Ibn Abbas anhuma. He says the Qur'an will play the same role for people. If for the people of our ummah. That the people of our ummah will be able to achieve more spiritual maturity if they are, the earlier they are introduced to the Qur'an, the more earlier they will mature, spiritually speaking. And that's, that's a very, very common predicament across the board today. That, and I, and I want to be very, very um, straightforward about this. We can become very extreme in our rhetoric sometimes. We can become very extreme in our rhetoric. And we have a problem today. The problem is that, especially in the non-Arab Muslim speaking, uh, excuse me, non-Arabic Muslim community, non-Arabic speaking Muslim community, we have, we do have a certain commitment to teaching our kids how to read the Qur'an, even when they're children. 
We have a commitment to that. Alif, ba, ta, tha, you know, etc., etc. So we have a commitment to that. And that's, but we do have a problem, and that is there is absolutely little to no emphasis on the understanding of it, on the practicality of it, on the spiritual guidance that it has. So too often, when we get into preach, preaching mode, we start preaching, with that, and we lose a little bit of what is moderation and balance in our preaching. And we start saying like, there is no benefit to knowing how to read the Qur'an without understanding. Hold on there, buddy. Alright, back that up just a little bit. Just a little bit, hold on there. Reading it is the gateway to understanding it. Because I can tell you of the opposite extreme that also exists within our communities. Where somebody will read translation after translation after translation after translation. And to not absolve myself of the situation, somebody will listen to tafsir lecture after tafsir lecture after tafsir lecture, recording after recording after recording. And you put in front of them, juza'amma, and they'll look at it, and it's, they can't make heads or tails of it. Amma yatasa'aluna, that would be a blessing. And I'm not criticizing those people, but I'm saying that situation, that, that condition exists. There are people like that in our communities. More often than not. And so, what we have to do is we have to instill a sense of balance. We have to achieve balance. And that's what the situation of Yahya salam I talked about that how the Sahaba and the Tabi'un, they interpreted the hukum and khudil kitaba biquwatin, that it was the, re- the recitation, like I mentioned the quote from Ali radiallahu anhu, that the person committed to the Qur'an is not just the one, yuhillu halala wa yuharrimu harama, he lives the halal of it, he lives the haram, he abstains from the haram of it, wa ya'malu bi he acts on the confirmed and the authoritative parts of it, wa yu'minu bi mutashabi, he believes in the things that he might not even understand from it, wa yatluhu haqqatilawatihi. And he recites it as it deserves to be recited, as it was meant to be recited. So we need a great amount of balance in this regard. So we need to continue the education of how to read and recite the Qur'an properly. وَرَتِّلِ الْقُرْآنَ tartila. Alright, I even feel embarrassed talking about this. I mean, Hafid Wissam Sharif, you've probably heard him talk about this many, many number of times. وَرَتِّلِ الْقُرْآنَ tartila. The Sahabatul Kiram, they understood this. Ali radiallahu anhu's quote in the tafsir of this ayah is that it is wajib, it is fard ala al-ayn. Which means just like praying five times a day is fard, it is fard on every Muslim to learn how to recite the Qur'an properly. So that balance needs to be instilled. So we need to take our children very early on, give them the tools to be able to recite the Qur'an properly, which to some extent we are doing, but we gotta take the next step. We will not, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and diminish the importance of learning how to recite. That's the mistake we make when we preach. But I, what I am going to say is, we need to move on to the next step. We need to be implementing the other aspect of learning the Qur'an simultaneously at the same time. So when my child sits and reads three lines to me on a daily basis, or when my child goes for 30 minutes to the Qur'an teacher to recite half a page to him, I also need to make time on a regular basis where my child can understand the Qur'an. He or she can understand the Qur'an. And begin to see how this is a practical code of life a way to live my life. And that's what we need to be implementing. Ibn Abbas says, the sooner we do that for our children, the sooner they will start to come into knowledge and wisdom, and most importantly, spiritual maturity. The next ayah, ayah number 13, it goes on now describing, 
Yahya alayhi salam. It started off by describing him, وَآتَيْنَاهُ الْحُكْمَ صَبِيًّا We gave him wisdom, we gave him knowledge and spiritual maturity even though he was a child. Now it goes on describing him. And Allah says, وَحَنَانًا مِنْ لَدُنَّا وَزَكَاةً وَكَانَ تَقِيًّا وَحَنَانًا Hanan in the Arabic language, the best, the closest term I could find in English to describe the meaning of Hanan was affectionate. Affectionate. Alright? Affection. It comes from the root, which means affection. Alright? Ashafqatu warriqatu ishfaq warriqa. It means to be soft and to lean towards someone. It also, and it has some very interesting derivatives in classical Arabic. Haninun naqa. When the camel would like moan or cry because it would want affection from its owner. The moaning sound that the camel would make, they would call it the hanin of the camel. Haninun naqa. It's moaning because it wants affection, it wants to be pet. There is a story from the life of the Prophet ﷺ that a camel came to the Prophet ﷺ and started moaning. Started moaning. The Prophet ﷺ walked up to the camel and placed his hand on the head and started basically petting the camel. Like you pet an animal, show affection. He showed affection to the animal. The animal became quiet. Then the Prophet ﷺ turned and he said, Who owns this camel? And the man said, I own him, Ya Rasulullah. So the Prophet ﷺ said, Don't you fear Allah? Don't you have taqwa? Don't you have cognizance, awareness of Allah? You push this camel hard, you make it work excessively, and then you don't give it time to rest and you don't feed it properly. It's moaning, it's crying to me. Why don't you fear God? So the, the hanin of the naqa, the camel came and moaned to the Prophet ﷺ looking for affection. There's also another beautiful story about the Prophet ﷺ, and that is the hanin of al-jiza. Al-jiza refers to the trunk or the stump of a date palm. The trunk or the stump of a tree in general actually. Jidha is the trunk or the stump of a tree. So in the masjid of the Prophet ﷺ, there was a tree stump. There was a tree stump. And the Prophet ﷺ would lean against the tree stump when he would talk to the sahaba. So when he would preach, when he would be giving a lecture, when he would be explaining things, when he'd be answering questions, he would go, he'd turn around, lean against his tree stump, and that's where he would talk to people. After some time, based on an instruction from the Prophet ﷺ, the first mimbar was constructed. The first member was erected. So when the first member was put together and was set up, and the Prophet ﷺ got up from the, they said, Ya Rasulullah, we've completed the member. So he gets up from the tree stump, and he goes and he sits down on the member. The Sahabatul Kiram radiallahu anhum, they actually say, we heard moaning sound coming from the tree stump. We heard a moaning, crying sound coming from the tree stump. This is from the Mu'ajizat of the Rasul salam. The Prophet ﷺ went back over to the tree stump and placed his hand on it, basically showed it affection. And the Prophet ﷺ then elaborated that when he got up and he went over there to the member, the tree stump was crying because it was going to miss the Prophet ﷺ. And it was going to miss being used for such a noble cause, which was the preaching and the teaching of the people. SubhanAllah. So the word Hanin is also used in that meaning of moaning and crying, looking for affection, seeking affection. And also like the, the love that a mother has for her child is described as, is, is described as this, Hanan, Hanna, that it is that type of an affection. The mother feels affection towards the child. She strongly leans towards the child. And the best term, 
like as an expression that I could find in the English language that would describe this hanna was, you know how we say in Arabic language that, uh, excuse me, in the English language we say that you have a soft spot for somebody in your heart? You know how we say that little phrase we have, you have a soft spot? I have a soft spot for him, or I have a soft spot for my child. I can't say no to my child, it, it hits right here. Right? That's basically what this describes. When you have a soft spot for someone, you feel a great amount of affection for someone. So now, وَحَنَانًا So Yahya, excuse me, Yahya alayhi salam is being described as Hanan. Now what does that mean? Again, this is that hyperbolic, exaggerated form, derivative pattern of the root word. And this can go in two ways. It can either mean that he himself was very affectionate, he himself was very affectionate to the people around him, not limited to, but including, you know, his, his family, his friends, the, his followers, humanity in general, that he was very, very affectionate towards people. But it could also be referring to the fact that he was shown affection. He was shown affection. So both, active and passive. Not only was he affectionate, but he was shown a great amount of affection. So who was he shown affection by? Obviously from his parents. And then more importantly, from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself. And we just see the levels of favors upon Yahya alayhi salam and his parents, his father Zakariya alayhi salam. And we can see the affection that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had towards Yahya and his father Zakariya. The first of all, the existence of Yahya, the birth of Yahya is a miracle in and of itself. If Allah did not love that family so much, Yahya wouldn't even exist. Number one. Number two, we then see in the previous ayah, ayah number 12, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying He gave him wisdom, knowledge, spiritual maturity that is even reserved for the prophets at a much later, later age. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave it to him even though he was just a child. Even just a child. Ibn Thalatha Sinin, Sab'a Sinin, all the tafasir, they say maybe he was three, maybe he was four, maybe he was seven. That's why yesterday I said like the under the age of ten. A child. So maturity that was reserved for even messengers to get at an older age was being given to Yahya even when he was such a child. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had a great amount of affection and love for Yahya alayhi salam. So it can mean both meanings. Either he was affectionate or he was shown a great deal of affection both by his parents and of course by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself. So here it says, وَحَنَانَ مِنْ لَدُنَّا So whether he was affectionate himself or whether he was shown a great deal, a great amount of affection. Where did this come from? Allah says, min. From, ladunna. Ladunna. Alright? Ladun in the Arabic language, alright? It means, especially from. Especially from. Like a special favor from someone. Alright? I was explaining it to the Arabic students. So it's kind of like we say in English, when you get hooked up by somebody. You know somebody hooks you up, somebody gives you the hookup. That's ladun. So min ladunna, min ladunna, especially from us. Especially from us, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying. So Yahya was so affectionate, because this was a special gift from Allah, specially given to Yahya. The ability to be so affectionate to people, to humanity. Secondly, Yahya was shown a great deal, a great amount of affection, again as a very, very special favor from Allah. This was a special favor from Allah, and that's easily understandable. 
وَحَنَانَ مِنْ and, and you know one thing that's very interesting about this term, Allah says, مِنْ As a special favor from us, as a special gift from us. When Zakariya the father made dua to Allah, alright, going back to ayah number, ayah number four, no, excuse me, ayah number five. Going back to ayah number five, when the father Zakariya made dua for Yahya, for a child, for the son, what word did he use? When you go back to ayah number five, he said, وَإِنِّي خِفْتُ الْمَوَالِيَ مِنْ وَرَائِي وَكَانَتِ مِرَتِي عَاقِرًا فَهَبْلِي O Allah, gift me مِنْ لَدُنْكَ As a special gift and favor from you, waliyan, Somebody I can trust and rely upon. So when Zakaria asked for a child, he said, مِنْ لَدُنْكَ I don't just want any child, O Allah. I want a special child. I want a special gift of a child. So Allah says, yes, we made Yahya really remarkable. Hanana milladunna. Allah used that same term. My, that my slave, Zakaria, had asked for a special gift of a child. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, we accepted his supplication. I accepted his supplication and gave him a special gift of a child. Wahanana milladunna. Wazakatan. Wazakatan. The next quality of Yahya alayhi salam is zakatan. Zakat, linguistically, literally in the Arabic language, means to internally purify something. For something to be internally pure. Tahara refers to external purification. Or even more so, actually, tahara is the general term. can mean both internal and external. Nadhafa, nadhif, nadhafa. Nadhafa is external purification. But zakat, is internal purification. That's why the term tazkiyah, tazkiyatul qalb, tazkiyatul nafs, comes from the same root, internal purification. Zakatul mal, the annual charity we give, it's for that same reason. When you give that charity, it spiritually purifies you. It allows you to, you still have your wealth, you still have the bulk of your wealth, the vast majority of your wealth. Remember, you only give 2.5% of your savings on an annual basis. So you only, you still retain the majority of your wealth. But subhanAllah, one of the blessings of giving zakat in a very disciplined fashion is that it makes you emotionally disconnected from your wealth. It emotionally disconnects you from your wealth. And that's a blessing. Because getting too emotionally attached to your wealth is where problems start. It's where problems come from. So when you become regular and disciplined about giving your zakat, you naturally will gain the ability to give sadaqat. To start giving more and more charity. Above and beyond the call of duty. Why? Because you're starting to become emotionally distant from this wealth. Easy come, easy go. Who cares? Just money. Right? So you know, usually we say that's what rich people say. People who have money say that. No, no, no. People who don't care about money say that. Alright? And people who don't care about money are not necessarily rich people. That's not a qualification. It's people who realize that there's a higher spiritual calling. And my money is a means to an end. It can be a means to an end of luxury and comfort, or even sin. But more importantly, it could be a means to an end to the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That end is the pleasure of Allah. And this could be my means of reaching that end. Alright? So zakat here refers to that internal purity. 
that he was internally very, very pure. Some of the Mufassirun have said that, no, this can also refer to the fact that he was very charitable. And there's nothing denying that. Remember, I've mentioned this already a couple of times. When you have a word that can have multiple meanings and it's used in the Qur'an, in the Qur'an you never limit the meaning of the word. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in His divine infinite wisdom chose that word because it has those multiple implications. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has the ability to say a whole lot with very little. He says a lot of things at the same time. So this both refers to, so Yahya was very very affectionate and he was shown a great deal of affection. Number two, Yahya was very internally pure. His heart was clean and pure. And number three, or, or embedded within that same meaning, as a third meaning you could almost add, is that he was also very, very charitable. He was very charitable. Because it's one thing to be affection. One thing to be affectionate, right? To show affection. Aww, right? You, just, you know, I'm talking about sisters like to do that. Right? So, it's one thing to show affection, be affectionate. It's another thing to actually do something with it. You could say, aww, and then move right on. Next one. Oh, how sad. Alright, let's go for lunch. Right? So, and that's too often of a situation. That happens way too often. Alright, I know Brother Azar Aziz is here, you know, mashallah, his work with Islamic Relief. He probably sees it very often. He can show like this um, photo slide or a video of the suffering in, you know, different parts of the world. And people see it and they're crying and they're tearing. And it's like, alright, let's help these people now. It's like, oh brother, I have to go to work tomorrow morning. Right? So, could you speed this up just a little bit? So that happens way too often. So Yahya was not just somebody that felt was affectionate, would just have a soft moment or would just shed a couple of tears, but then he would, he would practice. He would live it. He would then spend in charity on whoever that he was so affectionate towards, whatever cause he would see that was worthy and deserving of that charity. And the last quality Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions here is وَكَانَ تَقِيًّا Subhanallah, وَكَانَ تَقِيًّا Taqi is the, again, the very hyperbolic, active derivative from the root word which comes from taqwa, wiqaya, taqwa. Taqwa, so this is the doer form, this is the, again, the uh, sifa, uh, the ism mubalagha form from taqwa. So taqwa means to be cognizant, to be aware, to protect yourself, to be conscious of what you're doing at all times. Taqiyan, taqiyan isn't just somebody who lives, who, who is very conscious and aware and cognizant of his actions and his surroundings and what he's doing, but somebody who is very, very cautious and careful and cognizant. So it has hyperbole in it. Mubalagha, it's like the exaggerated form of the word. So Allah says that Yahya wasn't just somebody who was very cautious and careful, didn't have taqwa. He wasn't just somebody who had taqwa, he was somebody who had a lot of taqwa. Somebody who was very, very conscious, very aware, very cognizant, always on top of things, very careful. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, before He described him as being taqi, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala added a word in front of that, and that is kana. Kana doesn't just simply mean he was. It has more meaning than that. The word kana also incorporates the meaning of al-istimrar. Al-istimrar. Which means continuity. Consistently. That he constantly was in this state, was in this condition of being very cognizant, very aware, very conscious, very careful. He was 
constant in this regard. He always, that's how that he maintained that. If nothing else, he was always careful about what he was doing, what he was saying, and how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, how it would be viewed in the eyes, in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Would it win him the favor of Allah? Or would it bring the wrath and the anger of Allah? He was always very, very conscious and aware of this fact. Now, a few observations. After understanding the entire ayah, a few observations. The first and the foremost is, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes him as being hananan, affectionate, or being shown a lot of affection. Then Allah describes him as zakatan, very pure, sincere. Then Allah describes him as being constantly very conscious and aware and cautious. Now when we kind of connect all that together, let's connect it back to the actual story. The story that it's a part of. And that is Yahya is born to parents. How would you describe the parents of Yahya? Zakaria alayhi salam, the first description that comes to mind. Old. And we only say that because earlier in the surah, he himself spoke about how old he is. Now you know, and again, see, you, sometimes, and this is, a, this is another issue and a problem on how we study the Qur'an. The Qur'an is the kalam of Allah, no doubt. Alright, it is a great, great thing, an amazing thing. But at the same time, we can be a little too formal with the Qur'an. Like we don't really extract the practical aspect of the Qur'an. Not often enough. And that's what I want to highlight here. What's the predicament of old parents? You know, parents that might have had like children when they were in the prime age of having children, you know, in their 20s and 30s. And then they have that one last child into their 40s. What ends up becoming the problem with that one last child? Alright, most of you are younger here, mashallah. Right? So you might not really be able to speak from first-hand experience. But what could you guess would be the problem in that regard? Taking care of that child. Looking after that child. Parenting is, is hard work. Alright, so by the way, since most of you here are young, alright, you need to understand it's really, really hard work to parent. Alright, so your parents put a lot of hard work into making you who you are today. There's a reason why you're here, away from home, away from vacation time for an entire month studying Arabic and Qur'an. That's not normal these days. Just so you understand that, that's not normal these days. Alright, and that speaks to how your parents raised you and what they instilled within you. So parenting is hard work, it's, it requires diligence. It's a non-stop job, all the time. And so when a parent, when parents have a child much, much later on in age, alright, the one big problem and issue is that they can't, you know they say we can't keep up with him anymore? I'm too old for this, right? That's exactly the issue. Because that tarbiyah of that child, raising that child, explaining every little thing with that, to that child, doing every little thing with the child, that gets harder and harder and harder. It gets hard for people when they have a child in their 40s. Can you imagine? Zakaria alayhi salam? I told you there are narrations saying that he was 70, 80. There are some narrations saying he was upwards of 100 years old. Triple digits. 100 years old. Can you imagine what it would have been like to try to raise a child at that age? Subhanallah. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is describing Yahya as these things, and Allah is giving him all these unbelievable, remarkable qualities in that childhood. He's still child, sabi. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has taken care of the tarbiyah of Yahya. Allah gave, because what was Zakariya's motive? Zakariya's motive wasn't that, Oh Allah, I want a child, so I can make you know baby sounds. 
Oogly boogly. No, no, that's not why he wanted a child. He said, oh Allah, give me a child so I can go have a photo shoot with the child. Right? So I can have a cute baby to walk around with. That's not why he wanted the child. Why did he want the child? يَرِثُنِي وَيَرِثُ مِنْ آلِ يَعْقُوبَ وَجَعَلْهُ I want him so that he will take this knowledge and this wisdom and this hikmah, this blessing for me of this deen. And he will be somebody that will strive to please you, O Allah. That's why he wanted a child. So the, the, the intention was so sincere, so pure, so good, that Allah gave him the child. But then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala realizing the condition, of course Allah knows best, the condition of Zakariya alayhi salam, وَهَنَ الْعَضْمُ مِنِّي وَشَّعَلَ الرَّأْسُ that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took care of the tarbiyah of his child. That this child right off the bat is Hanan. He's affectionate. He's very, very kind and considerate and compassionate. A child. A boy. Can you imagine a boy being compassionate? Boys are mean. You ever seen what boys do? They are mean. Right? To animals, to people to things, break. That's like number one like reaction to anything. They see whether it's a glass, or it's a door, or it's anything, the first reaction is let's break it. Right? So that's, that's what boys are like. Right? They're rough. But subhanAllah, very affectionate. That's a sign of maturity. And then zakatan, so pure. He's not having to go through all the tests and trials of life, get tested, get tempted, this happens, that happens, did that, learned a lesson there, been there, done that, none of that. Zakatan, pure. And then wakana taqiyan. And then having such a high level of taqwa, a child. Subhanallah. So this is the other reflection here that Allah took care of the tarbiyah of Yahya. Alright? And this is another form. What did the beginning of the surah say? Dhikru rahmati rabbika. Abdahu Zakariya. This surah is a reminder about the mercy and the blessing of your Lord and how it showered down upon his slave Zakariya. We see the mercy is still continuing. The mercy wasn't just Allah gave him a son when he was old. The mercy continues that not only did Allah give him a son when he was old, but Allah took care, took care of the tarbiyah. Ready to go, no assembly required. He's ready to go. No assembly required. Okay, the other thing that I wanted to mention, which is very very interesting here, and that is that the scholars, they actually mentioned something very, very beautiful about this description. Hananan, Hananan, they say refers to the condition of the soul of Yahya. Very soft, very compassionate, very affectionate. Zakatan refers to the heart, the spirituality. So you know like a soft soul, a kind soul, we say a kind soul, a generous soul, a kind spirit. Right? So that's how Yahya was. Zakat, like I explained, refers to the purity of his heart. So he wasn't like attracted and tempted and pulled by sin. And then taqiyah refers to the actions, the a'mal, the actions. That even in actions, he was very, very conscious in terms of what he said and what he did. So it requires a complete condition of Yahya alayhi salam. Ayah number 14, it continues with the description and with the praise of Yahya, what type of a person he was. Allah says, وَبَرَّمْ بِوَالِدَيْهِ وَبَرَّمْ بِوَالِدَيْهِ Alright? Barran comes from bir. Again, barran is the exaggerated form of the word, which means somebody who has a very high level of bir. Now what does bir mean? 
So bir in the in the Quran in the Arabic language it's got a very interesting root. I'll talk about that in just a little bit. In the Quran the usage of the term bir is higher than taqwa. It is like a combination of taqwa and iman and sabr and shukr. When you combine all these good qualities together, it the epitome of it, the 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 collection of it. All right, is that the uh, the apex of all of this is that it manifests in the condition of what is called bir. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses that word bir in Surah Al-Baqarah to describe that perfection of deen and religion. And when you read on that ayah, it covers all the different facets and aspects of life and action and amal. So that's what the word bir refers to. Alright, so bid is the highest level of piety. That's why you can't reach bid until you spend, not just in charity, until you spend that which you love the most. Because it's the highest level. So you gotta spend that which you love more than anything else. And that's what gets you to bid. So bid is the highest level. Now let me explain the linguistic nuance about this term. The, the etymological nuance from this term. This word bir, which is the highest level of piety, comes from the same root as the word for dry land. Barrun, fil barri wal bahri, barrun refers to dry land. The opposite of wetland, the ocean and then dry land. Now, the, what's the, again, nuance there? that it comes from the root word which means dry land. Because naturally speaking, naturally speaking, there's always the exception. Naturally speaking, do people feel more comfortable when they're on dry land or when they're out in the ocean, even on a boat? Right? Everybody feels more comfortable, more stable, more solid, more firm when they're on dry land. It's natural, it's human nature. We weren't created to live on the ocean, we were created to live on dry land. It's a blessing of Allah Allah mentions, that He gave you the ability to be able to travel in the ocean, in the sea. But that's more of a temporary condition, not the permanent condition. The permanent condition or residence of the human being is dry land. So you feel comfortable, you feel safe, you feel secure when you are on dry land. Similarly here, when a person has reached that level of piety, when he has become so connected with Allah, that person finds that comfort, that security that that person feels when they're on dry land. Being distant from Allah is like being out on a rocky boat, out in, a stor- in the stormy seas, where the boat's being tossed around and you're vomiting off the side of the boat. That's not a good feeling, that's not a good time, that's not lots of fun. Alright? Similarly, being distant from Allah, being in disobedience of Allah is not a lot of fun. Nobody likes that. Alright? So that's the condition that it describes. Now having understood the word properly, the beautiful thing is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when He refers to being good to the parents, the terminology that is used, both in the Qur'an and the sunnah, the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, which refers to being kind, being good to our parents, the word birrul walidain, the same word bir is used, which is in another place in the Qur'an, refers to the highest level of piety. The highest level of piety, that same term is used for being kind, being good, respecting, honoring our parents. Birrul walidin, bir. And that's something that we find consistently throughout the Qur'an and we see right here as well. And you probably have seen this or read this or heard this, 
and I'll reiterate here for you, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, whenever He, he mentions being good to the parents, right after mentioning what? His right upon us, and then He mentions the parents' right upon us. Your Lord has decreed that you worship no one other than Him. And then you be good to your parents. Allah's right, and then the parents' right. Mention one right after another. Even in the universal values. Allah even took a covenant and an oath from Bani Israel that you will worship no one other than Allah. And you will be good to your parents. So the rights of the parents are mentioned right after the right of Allah. To show the importance of it. And the, the necessity of it. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives it that honor and distinction by mentioning it right after He mentions His right upon us. And not only that, but what we're now learning is that Allah uses the same word to describe being good to the parents, being dutiful to the parents. The same word that He uses to describe the highest level of, level of piety and closeness to Allah. And that is the word bir. That is the word bir. Alright? And that, we can take so many lessons from that. Number one, we see the importance of it. So after realizing the right of God upon us, it is then incumbent upon us that we realize the right of our parents upon us. The rights of our parents upon us. Number two, number two, if you truly, and I'm pretty sure no Muslim, no believer, regardless of what level of faith that that believer is at, no believer would ever say, I don't care about Allah's right upon me. I don't care what God has told me to do. Well, if, you, if you, at the least you have some problem, some issue with your parents. But you say, no, 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 I got no problem with Allah. Well, who told you to be good to your parents? Allah. And He uses again that same term to describe it, that this is part of that piety, that you will not reach that level of piety unless and, unless and until you have realized your duties and your responsibilities to your parents. Unless and until you can be good to your parents, you will never realize that highest level of piety which is al-bir. Al-bir. So this is what this describes. Secondly, and the last note I'll tell you here about this connection between the right of Allah and the right of the parents. And this is, I think, a little bit more of a message to the parents. And I'd like to point this out for parents. And that is, what will teach your child to respect your rights is when you teach your child to respect Allah. Because look, we're all human beings. We're all human beings. A child should respect the parent regardless. But we're all human beings. As a parent, nobody can sit there and claim that I'm perfect. I'm the perfect father. I'm the perfect mother. Nobody can claim that. All right? So you are going to slip up, you are going to mess up, you will have faults and shortcomings. When those faults and shortcomings happen, when you do mess up, the thing that will still make your child respect you, the thing that will still make your child respect you, is that you instilled within your child the respect for Allah and Allah's command. Then even though you've done, you slipped up, you messed up, as is human nature. You slipped up, you messed up, and you did something horrible to your child. You did something horrible to your child. Even at that time, that child will pick up and read the book of Allah and will say, وَبِالْوَالِدَيْنِ إِحْسَانًا وَبِالْوَالِدَيْنِ إِحْسَانًا 
And that child will say, I still got to be good to my parents. I still got to be good to my parents. And so that's very important, that connection, through just simply the word birth. So now it describes Yahya, وَبَرَّمْ بِوَالِدَيْهِ وَبَرَّمْ بِوَالِدَيْهِ So he was extremely dutiful. So that hyperbole, that exaggeration is built into the meaning here. He was extremely dutiful, good, kind, respectful, all right, towards his parents. بِوَالِدَيْهِ with his parents. وَلَمْ يَكُنْ جَبَّارًا عَصِيًّا وَلَمْ يَكُنْ جَبَّارًا عَصِيًّا Alright? لَمْ يَكُنْ And he never was. He never ever was. Alright? لَمْ يَكُنْ Creates that meaning. He never ever was. That's consistency. What was he never ever ever in any capacity at all? جَبَّارًا جَبَّار comes from the root word which means جَبَر the root of the word jabar, it means to apply pressure to something. To push something, to apply pressure to something, to push something down. That's what the term, that's what the word means. Alright, jabar. From that we have the Arabic deriv- derivative, um, al-jabira, which refers to a splint. Because it applies pressure to the broken bone in order to correct it. Alright, so it means to apply pressure, to push something. Jabbar is somebody who applies pressure. Now this is one of the attributes of Allah. Allah is al-Jabbar. Because what, what that basically means in that sense when we talk about Allah, it means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala applies pressure to us when we need it in order to straighten us out. In order to straighten us out. And there's a very beautiful reflection on that because you know like when you're ironing your clothes and you have one big old crease you have one big crease where you folded your clothes, you got one big old crease right there. Alright, so when you're ironing your shirt, when you get to that crease, what do you have to do a little extra? You have to push a little harder, right? You have to press a little harder, alright, to get that crease out, so it looks nice. As human beings, we'll have certain wrinkles, certain creases, certain wrinkles that just won't come out the easy way. Now would you rather have those wrinkles, those creases, taken out here in this dunya or in the akhirah? In this dunya, right? Without a doubt. So similarly, that's why Allah is al-Jabbar. He applies pressure to us when we need it, how we need it. And it's for our own good. It removes the creases and the wrinkles from us so that when we go to the akhirah, we're in better condition. We show up looking good. Alright? So that's the understanding. But when it's used for human beings, that is Allah. And that is Allah's right to apply pressure. When it's used for human beings, it basically means somebody that forces his will upon other people. A human being, when it refers to a human being, it means it's very negative. So it's positive for Allah. Like mutakabbir is an attribute of Allah and it's positive. Because Allah is proud. Allah has a right to be proud. Right? But it's negative when we say it about a human being. If a human being is mutakabbir, that's bad. Human beings should not be proud. So when a human being is jabbar, that's bad, because he's forcing his will upon other people, wrongfully, without their consent, without them agreeing to it. So Yahya was never the type of person to force his will on somebody else. He was never pushy, he was not bossy. He wasn't pushy, he wasn't bossy. Asiyan. Asiyan is again that exaggerated form of the word, which means somebody who is disobedient. Somebody who is disobedient. 
And something interesting about being disobedient that I've spoken to, uh, to the uh, Arabic students about during the daytime, that disobedience is the result of ungra- ungratefulness, ingratitude. Disobedience is the result, is the consequence of ingratitude, being ungrateful. So the fact that Yahya was never ever disobedient, not even the least bit, means that he was a very, very grateful person. Now, again, I'd like to kind of take that step back and see how this kind of fits in with the entire sequence of ayat. So it's describing this, be- this wonderful, unbelievable, amazing human being that is Yahya. Allah says, starting off, that he was given that wisdom and knowledge and spiritual maturity as a child. He was affectionate or he was shown a great deal of affection. Then, as a special gift from Allah. He was very pure and sincere. He was very, very cognizant isn't aware of his deeds and his actions at all times. Then it says, so I explained how it described the soul of Yahya. He was a kind soul. He was a generous soul. Alright? Then it described the fact that he had a very pure, sincere heart. Then it described that his actions were of the utmost caution and care. Alright? Then it describes the last piece of the puzzle and that was family relations. Family relations. He was very, very good in terms of his family relations. He was very good in terms of his family relations. And that's another very common predicament in our community. Alright? We, we have not fully understood the scope of what it means to be spiritual. Spirituality. And we have, we have separated spirituality from the practical aspect of our deen, the family relations part of it. So I can be praying five times a day, reciting Qur'an on a daily basis, doing a lot of dhikr, doing all of that, but maintain horrible family relations. And still, not only consider myself, but, but, but the horrible thing is to be seen by others as being somebody who is very, very spiritual. Somebody who is very pious and righteous. And that's the biggest contradiction in the world. Because the Prophet ﷺ said, خَيْرُكُمْ أَحْسَنُكُمْ لِأَهْلِهِ The best amongst you is the one who's the best to his family. وَأَنَا أَحْسَنُكُمْ لِأَهْلِهِ And I'm the best out of all of you when it comes to dealing with my family. So family relations is very, very important. It is a key component. It is part and parcel of spirituality in general. So وَبَرَّمْ بِوَالِدَيْهِ He had the full package of spirituality. That he was also very good in terms of his family relations. And the most important in those family relations are the, are the parents. And again, what an unbelievable contradiction that that's usually where we fault the most, where we falter the most, is in our relationship with our parents. That's the most important. It's in fact the Prophet ﷺ told us, sign of day of judgment. People will be great with their friends, but not so great with their, with their dads. Like him? He doesn't know what he's talking about. Old man. Or when they, you know, and, and you know, sometimes I don't want to go into the whole rant and tangent. I did plenty of that yesterday. Alright? But even in terms of like, very, very, they, they package it in innocuous forms. In modern day entertainment, they package it in very, very unassuming, innocuous forms. Like cartoons. When Bart Simpson talks about his dad, what, how does he refer to him? Does he say, my dad, my father? What does he say? Homer. Homer. Calls him by his first name. He even speaks to him with his first name, Homer. Subhanallah. 
But it's not some horrible dude, right, who's like drinking alcohol and he's got drugs in one hand and a beer in the other hand and he's got tattoos and he's got earrings. And it, they don't present it like that. It's a cute little cartoon character who rides a skateboard, right? And then he refers to his father as Homer. So we have to be very, very careful. Alright, so وَبَرًّا بِوَالِدَيْهِ He was very good in his family relations. وَلَمْ يَكُنْ جَبَّارًا عَصِيًّا And he was not bossy, and he was not disobedient and ungrateful. That doesn't mean that he wasn't bossy with other people, and he wasn't disobedient and ungrateful to Allah. He wasn't bossy with his parents. And he wasn't ungrateful and disobedient to his parents. And subhanAllah, why is that such an amazing thing? Because again, the parents of Yahya, how would you describe them in one word? Old. And let's just... Again, let's just say it like it is. It's not a very pretty truth. It's an ugly truth. But older parents are easier to take advantage of. Older parents are easier to neglect. Older parents are easier to abuse. They're old. Shh, quiet. Leave me alone, I'm busy right now. Very easy. But you see here, Yahya is very affectionate and kind. Very pure, very good. He's very good, very nice and kind to them. And he's not bossy at all. Because that's what happens when you start maturing, and you become the responsible one, the man of the household, then it becomes very easy to boss your parents around. Then they're just a burden. Such a burden. There's such a problem. There's such a headache. Asiyan, but he wasn't ungrateful. He realized who his parents, what his parents meant to him, and he was good to them. And this is a, a bit of nasiha. It's often quoted as a hadith. It's not uh, authenticated as a hadith. But this is mentioned as a nasiha that the scholars would give. And they would say, Burru aba'akum taburrukum abna'ukum. Burru aba'akum taburrukum abna'ukum. Be good to your parents and your children will be good to you. Be good to your parents, and your children will be good to you. And that's the biggest test of that is when they're old. And he goes on to say, وَعَلَمُوا أَنَّ سَخْتَ اللَّهِ فِي سَخْتِ الْوَالِدَيْنِ That the anger and the wrath of Allah is embedded in the anger and the wrath of the parents. When your parents are displeased with you, Allah is displeased with you. وَأَنَّ رَضَاهُ لَا يَكُونُ إِلَّا إِذَا رَضَى عَنْكُمُ الْوَالِدَانِ and realize this, that the pleasure of Allah, you will never attain it, unless and until your parents are pleased with you. وَلَا شَيْءٌ يَزِيدُ فِي الْعُمْرِ وَيُبَارِكُ فِي الرِّزْقِ مِثْلَ بِرِّ الْوَالِدَيْنِ وَصِلَةَ الْأَرْحَامِ And realize this, that there is nothing that puts more barakah and blessing into the life, and into the sustenance of a person, as much as being good to the parents, and joining family relations. وَبَرًّا بِوَالِدَيْهِ وَلَمْ يَكُنْ جَبَّارًا And then it finally ends by saying, ayah number 15, وَسَلَامٌ عَلَيْهِ يَوْمَ وُلِدَ وَيَوْمَ يَمُوتُ وَيَوْمَ يُبَعَثُ حَيًّا And peace, peace and safety. So here the word salam is used in two meanings. One is the literal meaning, which means peace and safety. Peace and safety be upon him. It is upon him. سَلَامٌ عَلَيْهِ Peace and safety is upon him, upon Yahya. And it's also used in the figurative meaning. The figurative meaning is like giving greetings to someone. And giving greetings to someone is a sign of showing honor to someone. 
A sign of showing honor to someone. And that's why the Qur'an tells us, when the people of paradise and Jannah will enter into their gardens of paradise, what will the angels, angels line up and say to them? Salamun alaykum, salamun alaykum. It's a way of showing honor to someone. So it means both things here. Number one, Allah is saying that peace and safety was showered upon Yahya. But it also means here that Allah is showing honor and dignity to Yahya. Allah is honoring Yahya here. Salamun alayhi. He is a very honorable person. When? Yawma wulida. The day that he was born. Because the day that he was born, a great miracle of Allah had arrived on the face of this earth. That a child was born to very old parents, which had no explanation, no logical explanation to it. وَيَوْمَ يَمُوتُ And the day that he will die. Peace and safety and honor and dignity will be upon him on the day that he will die. And we know from riwayat that are mentioned in the books of Tafasir that Yahya died as a, as a shaheed, as a martyr. So Allah, this is kind of like that prophecy, that foretelling, that good news, that congratulations being given, that there will be honor and dignity and peace and safety upon him on the day that he will die, because he will die as a martyr before Allah. وَيَوْمَ يَمُوتُ وَيَوْمَ يُبْعَثُ حَيًّا وَيَوْمَ يُبْعَثُ حَيًّا And the day that he will be revived again, meaning the day of judgment, that he will find the same honor, the same dignity, the same benevolence from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the day of judgment as well. He will be honored by Allah on the day of judgment. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us all the ability to practice everything that was said and heard. Subhanallah wa bihamdihi. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta. Nasaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk.